0: Bonjour à nos auditeurs en Belgique. Merci pour écouter. Il est temps pour un autre épisode.
1: everyone welcome back to another episode of dark and devious uh patrick here and chris i had no idea that you were so skilled in the linguistic area of life
0: (laughs) right i thought i would acknowledge our first listeners in belgium by doing a little intro in french um i studied french off and on for a really long time uh i I did it all through college and That was also my pandemic project was I wanted to start reviewing my French every day. So I thought this was the perfect example to bring it out and actually use it. So uh, to translate for you, I said um, hello to our listeners in Belgium. Thank you for listening and it's time for another episode.
1: Awesome. I, I recognize the word hello and uh, episode
0: yes. <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> um well that's really cool I I've always loved that language they say it's the language of love yeah, absolutely um, and and I wish I would I mean it's never too late I can still learn it um so where I grew up in Styx um our high school foreign language choices were Spanish and Spanish Um,
0: (laughs) you had the, you had a choice between one.
1: Yes. And luckily, um, I'd say probably about like a third of our school was Hispanic. So I just grew up hearing it a lot. So I already knew like a lot of vocabulary.
0: Oh, cool. So you had a lot of practical application.
1: Yeah. And then in university, I took three more years and I was really, really good and, then I moved to Korea and then I started learning Korean and then I didn't speak Spanish for quite a while. And now I'm on Duolingo, which Duolingo, come sponsor us. Yeah, right?
0: Um, no, we would be great sponsor. That's what I use. So yeah.
1: So I'm on Duolingo now trying to relearn my Spanish. But I'm I'm having the same struggle. I'm losing Korea. Korean uh by the day because you know I'm not I'm not speaking it I'm not hearing it
0: yeah I that's really where the the practical use of it helps you retain things better I mean I know that there's vocabulary that I learned years ago that just because I haven't had to bring it up uh it hasn't stuck with me but I still remember in French class in high school, we used to like, we'd have to write dialogues, like little scripts we'd have to read in front of the class and would have to have certain qualifications in there. And one of them was always a word count. And so when we, when we finished all of the, the other requirements and we just needed to fill space, we would all of a sudden start talking about pineapple upside down cake because it took a lot of words to say that. So I will never forget uh, le Ghetto danana renversé. It's pineapple upside down. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's
1: so funny. I wonder so, I wonder how sick and tired your teacher got tired of reading about people loving or hating pineapple upside down cake.
0: Yeah, um, it w- it did always get a laugh though because a same uh, the same little group of us in class would always work together and so she kind of expected us to um, eventually talk about it. <laughs> and it's like, how are they going to work it in this time? Like, right. it, you know, it could be a totally random situation. And then all of a sudden be like, oh, I would like a pineapple upside down cake. Would you like one too? And, and we'd say pineapple upside down cake every single time.
1: Oh, yeah. So it
0: would take up a lot of words. That's, so. that's funny. So there you go, anyone who's listening, whoever needs to like fill space in their foreign language homework, just find a phrase that takes a lot of words to say and just use it over and over again.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's so true, such clever tips. We're educating the youth.
0: Right, yeah. We need to get that like under 18 crowd motivated to listen
1: (laughs) yeah I see that we have like a few there's yeah there's a handful of them
0: which is super cool I'm it's really it's really interesting to see the the wide array of audience that we reach
1: yeah we have people all the way up into their 70s that are listening right and I feel like every week we're getting new states yeah and as we've already discussed new countries so yeah. it's just really exciting so i i want to thank our listeners for spreading the word
0: yes it's so, so cool you you'd have no idea how how big our smiles get every single time we see someone new pop up or so you know from some other place that we didn't reach before so it really makes our day and makes it worthwhile knowing that we're being listened to by new people in new places.
1: Mm -hmm. And hopefully one of those new people will be a member of a network.
0: Right.
1: Because I've looked at some of the applications and some of them are pretty extensive, which I'm willing to do it, you know, to to get us to grow. Um, It's just, it'd be nicer if they found us.
2: Right.
0: fall in love with us please
1: mm-hmm. we're charming
0: we are and we're cute mm- we're D- we are
1: yeah we are we should hey target's headquarters here we should just start knocking on their door too right yeah it's we like, said we're cute i was i was gonna segue into we should model and then i thought of like what if we're in target ads um <laughs> my brain I think
0: a lot of those are actually shot here in the twin cities though yeah
1: yeah, it's safe to assume. Yeah. Well, I noticed that you're in a different room.
0: Oh yeah. This is this is the new bedroom.
1: Yay. So you got to move out of your library.
0: Yeah, I am in the big bedroom now.
1: Cool. Yeah. Everyone, just so you know, when I said library, it is not an exaggeration. Every single wall in his previous bedroom, top to floor book <laughs> books. Yeah. And um there's even extra shelves and extra tables holding more books it's like beauty and the beast when bell comes into the library and she needs a ladder to climb up the wall because there's so many books like
0: you do need a ladder to reach the top shelves
1: i need a ladder to reach the fourth shelf I mean, <laughs> i'm a short sure person uh but yeah that's cool you got your own space now
0: yeah it's it's delightful and that means that I can have even more room for books. <laughs>
1: Chris, do we need to uh, stage an intervention?
0: <laughs> it's funny because I, I, um, I have a bunch of books still at my mom's house. Uh, and every now and then when I stop by, I like grab a couple more and bring them <laughs> home with me. And kind of had like a little section of true crime type stuff on on one of the shelves so I last time I was there I just this last Friday I grabbed a couple things off there and and I was like I might use these at some point soon so I want them on hand and and then of course when I worked at the bookstore on Friday I also bought a new book about like 20th century serial killers so that way if i'm ever totally out of ideas i have something i could just reference and see if anything catches my eye so
1: i mean you could literally also um i thought about doing this with some of my books that i have with it's like a mini encyclopedia of of murderers Mm -hmm. um just pick a random page see who it is yeah. And then, and then do a deep dive.
0: Do it. would be like a fishbowl, but with, uh, <laughs> with with killers instead. Yeah. That could be fun. hmm Yeah. Um, I know there's a, for my next one, I'm, I'm gonna, it's a toss-up between a couple different ones. I'm like anxious about which one to pick, so I better get started soon. <laughs>
1: yeah every week is a toss-up for me yeah between like 20 <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh but you know speaking of true crime books I wanted to tell you that about uh so remember that book that that Leopold wrote after like when he was still in prison uh it was called life plus 99 years yeah I was looking around on eBay and I actually found a copy. I mean, it's like super out of print. Like it's a, this is like an original hardcover from 1958. And I bought it. I <laughs> I thought about it for like five days and then I was like, I I need this in my in my collection. So I can't wait to have it in my i'll probably put that in like my special bookcase that's <laughs> that's got all that's got like a glass door to it <laughs> it's
1: the fancy bookcase. yes it's the ones that you wear gloves when you read. exactly
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love I, lo- I love it when they like put like a mylar cover on it so that the cover will stay perfect and in the perfect world every book would come with with that so that they would stay perfect forever
1: mm-hmm um. Well, the latest thing I've been reading is a book called uh, "Stealing Buddha's Dinner." It's oh. it's a memoir by uh a so in the seventies in Vietnam they did like Operation Baby Lift where they oh, took yeah, the babies yeah. out, and it's it's a memoir of a girl and her sister, and they wound up in Detroit, Michigan. And then her dad was able to make it over. He met a Hispanic woman and they had a child together. And the Hispanic woman, uh, their stepmom, also had a child previous to the marriage. And it's just every chapter is the title of a, or the name of like a food, of a Vietnamese food. Mm -hmm. And the author will tie it into how that food kind of represents her experience of being a Vietnamese American growing up in Detroit, Michigan, and being Buddhist in a Catholic town and having a Hispanic mom who wants her to go to like quinceaneras and celebrate Cinco de Mayo. And it's just, it's a really fascinating story. Um, I highly recommend it.
0: Oh, neat. I'm gonna have to check that out. Uh, I'm
1: almost finished with it. Um, If you want it when I'm done, I'll just give it to you.
0: Oh, okay. I'll take it. Okay. All right, yay, (laughs) goody. Another one to add to the collection. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: just fueling the fire now.
0: Yes. I'd say at least it isn't drugs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, I guess. Okay, well, with all that said, are we ready?
0: Oh, I've been ready since I woke up this morning.
1: Me too. So let's get to it right after this. Awesome. All right, everyone, um, welcome back. Um, I am very excited for today's case. It's something that I heard about. Um, I'd say probably maybe a year ago, and when I heard it, I was like, "What the little little f is is going on?" Like as I listened, like at the end, I was like, okay, that was a, that was a nice listen. But like during the process, I was like, whoa. So I
0: know I say this every time, but I am so excited. I mean, judging by the the twinkle of delight in your eyes that I can see through the camera here, uh, this has got to be really good.
1: I mean, for me, it's really good. It might not be really good for everyone else. I just think <laughs> this case is bananas, like B-A-N-A-N-A yeah, <laughs> as Gwen once said. <laughs> um, And yes, yeah. So without that ado.
0: every time I spell bananas.
1: Yes. B-A-N-A-N-A yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone, now I'm a, a singer, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Times were simpler back then. They were. And like 2005
1: yeah something like that or six i just remember i played the trombone mm-hmm. in marching band and there's the, part oh. the song where it's go like Arr. i always would do that i'll just like walk into the band room <laughs> and just do that for no reason okay <laughs> sorry we digress again <laughs> but are you ready chris i am ready I am going to be telling you all about the 1976 Chowchilla school bus kidnapping
0: oh my gosh I I'm I'm so I'm so excited that you're doing this because yeah I heard about this maybe like a year ago too so I'm wondering if we both heard about it I feel like somebody did a story about it or someone was interviewing like one of the kids who was on the bus and is now a grown-up.
1: I found a lot of uh, interviews which I wish I could have like recorded quotes from all of them but I feel like this would have been like a three-hour long episode so I had to condense it. Um, but yeah.
0: Oh my gosh you you I can see why you you were so jazzed about this episode because I really really want to know all the details that you're gonna tell me. So I can't wait. Let's get into it. Okay.
1: Also, I think one reason why this excites me is because I'm a teacher and the kids in this story are the like exact age range that I teach. Ooh. I'm an after-school teacher. So I get like kids in a in a larger range that I mm-hmm. interact with. So it's like I see my kids on this bus. <laughs> Okay, let's go. It was a day no one could forget. Ask anyone from Chowchilla and many of them can give you specific details. It had happened years ago, but folks have shared the story time and time again, as if to caution the younger generation of the bad that can be seen out in the world. Even those born after the incident know the story by heart. So we are in 1976, and Chowchilla is, um, it's kind of in the south central area of California. It's not on the coast. It's more like the farming areas. And in 1976, the population was roughly like 4,500. So the community was like really close, tight knit. Um, So for an event to happen there was very shocking.
0: Yeah, I'm looking up the map here and yeah. Oh, so it's like between, it's almost, it's like the halfway point between Fresno and Modesto. Yes. There we go. And it's, yeah, you're it's really kind of smack dab in like the heart of California.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the day of July 15th, 1976 started out innocently enough. It was a gorgeous summer day, And it was the second to last day of summer school for the kids at Dairyland Elementary School in Chowchilla. We loved summer school. It was such a good time, Correjo La Bandiera, who was nine at the time said, we did arts and crafts, woodwork, ceramics. I just remember doing water balloon tosses and we played fun games like truth or dare out in the park, another former student said, it was so much fun that fellow schoolmate Jeff Brown started a petition that day asking for two more weeks of summer school. (laughs) Everyone signed it. The teachers, the students, and even bus driver Ed Ray. On this day, Ed Ray was supposed to haul the 26 children between the ages of 5 to 14 from the Chowchilla community swimming pool back to Dairyland Elementary School. So the children, ages 5 to 14 again, boarded the bus home. Most were still on their bathing suits after a fun day filled with swimming and water games. So while he was driving to their destination and came across a van blocking the road, little did he realize that the people in this van would change his life and the children's lives forever.
0: Man, it sounds like... This would have been just such a fun day. Like, I can just picture it. I can smell the chlorine. Like, you you're on the bus with your your close friends, and you've spent all summer together so far. Like, oh, it's I it's like the the drastic change of between like this is an awesome day, and then what's about to happen is just makes. The tension, all the the greater. I think it's just like, oh my gosh, how could this happen on such a perfect day?
1: Right. It's like it's like straight out of a movie. Everything it, is wonderful, and then it's not.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, when I'm listening to you talk about it, like it definitely plays in my head like a movie.
1: The bus couldn't continue, which is why Ed thought he could ask these people to move. Being the kind man that he was, he also wanted to see if they needed any help. But as quick as his words were coming out, three armed men appeared from the vehicle, their faces unrecognizable, with stockings over each of their heads. They held Ed at gunpoint and demanded to take over the trip. They climbed into the bus with the guns pointed at the children and one single gun on the back of Ed's head. One man drove, one man held Ed as his human captive, and the third followed in the van. Ed had to surrender all control to the gunmen in order to keep the children safe. Nonetheless, some children were so innocent that they didn't know what was exactly happening to them at the time. Mike Marshall was the oldest of the group and remember him because he will come into play later. He sat in his seat and was nervous the whole time. Whereas Monica Artery, one of the youngest children on board asked the gunman if he was the Easter bunny because he had ears hanging off the side of his head.
0: Oh my gosh. I can't imagine just, (laughs)
1: She's so innocent.
0: How innocent, and like uh, that. Just it makes it even all the more tragic because it's it's just like here are like these kids have never done anything to anybody. They are the most innocent victims you could possibly imagine, and it's uh, everything about it is just so weird. Like,
1: oh, and it gets weirder.
0: It's weirder.
1: And you mentioned, like, they couldn't do anything to anyone. That is a big uh, contributor as to why a bus was targeted. Mm -hmm. The gunmen didn't care much about the children inside the bus. They had a task in mind, and no one could sway them for doing otherwise. They drove the bus into the dry canal bottom called the Berenda Slaw, There, a second van had been hidden. That was when Ed realized that this had all been planned. Both vans had back windows that were painted black while the interiors of the vehicle were reinforced with wood paneling. Hmm. The vans were designed to hold hostages and keep them hidden from sight. Ed and the children were herded into the smaller vans. The abductees were then driven around for 11 hours with no bathroom or water breaks in between.
0: Oh my gosh, it's like torture just thinking about it. Uh,
1: and can you imagine how hot it'd be in there? July in the summertime in a van with no windows. Yeah, in California,
0: each, it's going to be warm.
1: Each van has at least 14 people in it plus the because there's 27 um uh, abductees plus the three men yeah that's
0: gonna be really hot and sticky and probably just gross
1: yeah and I imagine they didn't have the windows down because then the people could just start yelling for help yeah so by this time they were all tired scared and starving Unfortunately, they couldn't really do anything about it. Ed was still hesitant because he didn't want any of the children to get harmed, which is why he sat quietly.
0: And so is the so was the bus, the bus was left behind at that like riverbed area, right? Yeah, they
1: took it down into like a dried out canal. Okay. Where no one would go.
0: So you wouldn't, um, it, it, like anybody who was like, wait, where is this bus? Like you couldn't just put out. It's not like it would just be parked somewhere where someone could easily find it.
1: Right, it was very. It was a very strategic location that they picked out.
0: Interesting, okay.
1: To keep themselves from feeling even lonelier, the kids decided to sing songs. However, when they realized that nothing good was going to come out of it, the older kids opted to change the lyrics of the song If You're Happy and You Know It to If You're Sad and You Know It
0: oh that is so that's so sad
1: Mm -hmm. it was a scary time for all and no one knew when the ride was going to end in fact they didn't even know if they were going to come out of the experience unscathed or even alive after almost 12 grueling hours of nonstop driving the van stopped the kidnappers opened the door and took ed out first Then, the captors took the kids out one at a time. Each time they removed a child, the kidnappers asked them for their name, age, address, and phone number. They also took a piece of clothing or a belonging from each student. They were then told to climb down a ladder that led them underground. Some of the younger kids got scared and thought this was a one-way trip, which they would never get out of
0: oh my gosh and it sounds like they are planning some sort of ransom and like here's proof that we have your kid here's an item that belongs to them they can call them they could like they know all the basics about them Mm -hmm. what better way to get ransom money you know chances are somebody's gonna pay
1: yeah, and taking the physical evidence, being like, I know uh, your daughter, Sally, was wearing red ribbons in her hair that day because I have them.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's just so ugh, creepy.
1: Soon, they
0: all found
1: that they themselves were in a truck trailer buried beneath the ground. There was food and water, but not all that much.
0: Man, that is... This is some real elaborate planning.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Ed and the children looked around and saw that aside from their rations, there were mattresses and wheel wells that served as toilets. As for ventilation, they could hear fans running from above. While all the needs were there, no one knew if these were enough to sustain them there were 27 people in such a cramped space. How could they survive and will they ever get out? Unfortunately, not even Ed could answer that puzzling question because he was just as perplexed as the kids. The kidnappers next removed the ladder and before closing the heavy hatchet at the top, they threw down toilet paper and stated that they would come back and check on everyone. Everything went dark. The children were extremely scared by this time and would cry incessantly. Most of them were in tears because they couldn't even say goodbye to their families. And as for the parents of the children, they were also living through a nightmare. The parents of the 26 children expected them to arrive home at a certain time. But when they hadn't heard from anyone, they all contacted the school as well as each other, and quickly, everyone became concerned. When several hours passed, they knew something had gone wrong. So the moms and dads all converged to a command post set up in the downtown area. They were desperate and wanted an explanation for their missing children. They didn't realize this would actually be considered one of the largest kidnapping cases in U.S. history. They all waited by the phone, hoping to hear good news. And by this time, the children had already been inside the hole for 12 hours.
0: Oh my gosh, I can not I can only imagine the process of where your mind goes. Like at first, like within like the first hour, you're like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe the bus got a flat tire or something. And then once more time has gone by, like, oh, maybe my kid went over to their best friend's house. And then you check in with them and then be like, no, we haven't seen the kids either. Then your mind is just racing of like the thousands of possibilities that, you know, that could be happening. And also like at this period in time, I feel like kids were still kind of free to do to just kind of like roam around a lot more
1: oh yeah yeah like that was a thing up until i think like the late 90s
0: right where like you would just kind of like you'd roam the neighborhood with your friends and you know you were just as long as you came home for dinner like everything was fine but uh i mean i think even i remember like my mom when when i was growing up like i remember specifically when uh, I was playing hide and seek with, with my one of my best friends in the neighborhood and I hid really, really well and they couldn't find me. And then they got worried and and my mom was like freaking out that they couldn't find me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just over here. I was hiding in the bushes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, that reminds me of a, a story that I'll tell you after we record a uh, similar situation, but. Yeah, I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay. Um, so as for the children down below, they were more scared than ever. They were trapped in the dark, and the ration of food and water wasn't enough. They were all hungry and they couldn't do anything about the fact that their supplies were running low. The worst part of it all was the ventilators had stopped working. Yikes. It was summer, and even 12 feet underground they were starting to overheat without fresh air circulating. Many started to believe that they weren't going home. One little boy in the group was in fact so desolate that he started kicking at the corner of the trailer. And because of this, the roof had started to cave in. Oh no. The roof above the children was starting to collapse and it definitely wasn't making things better. The children cried when they noticed the steams breaking, and they all decided that if they were to die, they would at least try to get out. It was a desperate situation, especially for the younger children, who had no sense of what was really going on. They didn't know if it had already been dark out or if they had at least some light to guide them to the escape. At this point, it just seemed hopeless.
0: I feel like this is a great time to do like a human pyramid or something like that. <laughs> yes. Be like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna work on our cheerleading exercise <laughs> and we're gonna get the littlest one at the top. Uh-huh. Like, come on, kids.
1: Well, that's a good idea, but they had something better.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: Ed and the oldest boy in the group. 14-year-old Mike Marshall, who was the one I mentioned earlier.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he decided to take a bunch of mattresses and stacked them up until they were able to reach the hatch. Smart. Ed, okay. Yeah. Ed climbed up first, and they took turns trying to give the heavy metal a nudge. What made it harder was that the, that the cover was weighed down by two 100-pound industrial batteries.
0: Oh, damn.
1: This meant that the feet required super strength. So Ed and Mike used some sort of rod found within the trailer and kept poking at the cover until they finally saw it move.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Ed and Mike were finally able to partially open the manhole despite its weight. But the hole was only big enough for the 14-year-old boy to squeeze through. As soon as the young teen reached out of the hatch, he began trying to dig a path out. So when I was first reading this, I was a little confused because it says they're buried 12 feet underground. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking like they open to this hatch and then it's just dirt, 12 feet of dirt on top. But then after thinking about it and looking at the pictures, the trailer itself, is nearly 12 feet tall yeah it's a pretty thin layer on top okay um
0: just enough to obscure it but not to like
1: right so yes it's terrible that you know the the thought of being 12 feet underground at least they're not in a 12 foot truck underneath 12 more feet of dirt
0: yeah That would be way worse.
1: Yeah, originally that's what I pictured. Um, But this is how I figured out how they dug out. Because I was like, "How is it? are they going to dig through dirt? They're all just going to suffocate. But then I was like, ding, light bulb. So he didn't quit his efforts and he kept digging through. As for the rest watching, they did not have a clue what was going on. After being underground for 16 hours, could only hope that the kidnappers weren't waiting for them at the surface
0: let's see that would be the the scariest thing not knowing what was on the other side especially because you drove you were driven for how many hours was it
1: 12? 12 12
0: hours like you could be anywhere in the state of california you could be in nevada like who knows what direction you were being driven in yeah and or like how remote this spot is. I mean, especially if you were able to hide an entire like semi-truck. Uh, well,
1: it's not a semi-truck, it's a, like or, a moving truck.
0: Oh, okay. Well, it would still have to be a, a, a pretty big space to hide a, like a moving truck mm-hmm. trailer uh, underground. And to do that without being noticed. Right. I'm imagining it's probably someplace remote.
1: Yep. Yep. And, you know, they were kidnapped around four ish and they were for 12 hours. So what time is it? Quick math.
0: Uh, Man. Okay. So it's like early in the morning, right?
1: Okay. Let's edit. Oh, this. so it'd
0: be four in the morning.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. <laughs> As Mike kept digging a ray of light suddenly burst into the hole. This was where their airflow had come from. When they all saw this, they knew they had found the way out. It was all thanks to persistence and teamwork, especially from Ed and Mike. They had refused to give up and their efforts had paid off. Of course, they still had to be careful. And Mike, being the brave boy that he was, decided to check out the surroundings first, and volunteered to crawl out. As soon as Mike stuck his head out, he saw only trees and a big field. Nobody was around. They all decided to scurry out like quiet little mouse, making sure not to create a stir that may just alert the kidnappers. All 26 children and Ed were able to climb out of the underground prison.
0: Yay!
1: When they all had freed themselves, they heard noises, machinery and equipment from a distance. They all had to be bold this time around because they really didn't know where to go. They thought to themselves, should they stop? Should they risk their lives for freedom? But at this point, they had no choice but to move forward and find the courage from deep within. Ed and the children followed the noise until they saw men working with excavators and large machinery. One of the workers saw the big group of dirty, scared children and immediately knew who they were, as radio reports of the missing school bus had been aired. After all, it's not every day a school bus filled with children in a small town goes missing. The victims explained that they were from Chowchella, and that they had been kidnapped. They also soon discovered that the kidnappers had buried them in a rock quarry in Livermore, California. This was a good 100 miles away from home. Nonetheless, they were saved, and soon the authorities came to collect every single one of them. When the authorities finally arrived, they took a picture of every child in the scene to document any possible physical ailments the good part about it was that they were all there no one had died or was still missing from the harrowing experience then ed and the children were transported to the nearest safest place the santa rita rehabilitation center everyone was ushered into a room where they were all given sodas and apples they were also given a change of clothes in order to make sure they feel better. Remember, most of them had still been in their bathing suits when the school bus was hijacked. Wow. Ed and the students were examined by doctors over the next few hours. The authorities wanted to make sure that no one was injured from the escape. They were also questioned by the police. Unfortunately, they couldn't say too much about the kidnappers. The perpetrators that took them didn't give them any clues that would have been important to the investigation. More importantly, how could they describe the men who wore dark stockings over their faces? And when the cops couldn't really do much after four long hours, they were all sent home. At this point, Ed and the children had been gone for 36 hours. The traumatic ordeal had finally ended and when they were all transported back home in a Greyhound bus, the parents and the media were all there to greet them. Needless to say, tears flowed like a river when the happy reunion took place, not a dry eye in sight. And while there was chaos, everyone was glad to be back, safe and sound. Of course, the news crew, the lights and the cameras were a little jarring as hundreds of questions were thrown their way at once. The kids couldn't give a specific answer to the media as they didn't really know who the perpetrators were or why they had been taken, nor could Ed. Nonetheless, they were all sent home where the families waited for the latest developments on the investigation. And while the children were all back home, They couldn't rest well as they waited for answers. Who were the men behind the kidnapping and what did they want? All they could do at this point was trust the the police to do their jobs.
0: I can't imagine uh, anybody would be able to feel safe, you know, on a bus again. Like, I feel like you would have major PTSD from this experience because... How could you feel safe in public again, knowing that these men were out there still, and the fact that they know the, the, their names, their addresses, their phone numbers, like this isn't over until they are caught. And every minute that they're still out there is another minute of an uncertainty for all these kids it's, I, it just, that's true nightmare.
1: Yeah. And we'll get into that. While the kids became popular in the media and their names became known to people, not just in their county, but all over the USA, they also experienced a lot of trauma. Many of them couldn't sleep well at night, knowing that the malicious men were still at large. As for the parents, they couldn't really do much, but be there for the little ones and hug them tight when the nightmares occurred. The children needed therapy, but more importantly, they also needed closure, which means that the kidnappers needed to be apprehended. Over the next few days, the investigators searched high and low for every clue. They first visited the rock quarry where the children had been kept. They came to the conclusion that in order to enter the quarry undetected, one of the kidnappers needed to have an access key to it. So they honed in on the person who had those and discovered a man named Fred Newell Woods, a 24-year-old who was the son of the quarry owner. Security guards of the quarry told investigators that Fred had been there months before to dig a large hole. Moreover, Fred had two friends with him when he did this, James Schoenfeld and his younger brother, Richard Schoenfeld. Of course, this had not been enough. So they looked at Fred's rap sheet and discovered that he also had a tainted record and had been arrested for grand theft auto along with other misdemeanor crimes. James and Richard also have been arrested for the same crime as Grand Theft Auto. What shocked investigators about the kidnappers was the fact that these men had come from wealthy families. They were young and well-connected, and for the crimes they had committed years earlier, they escaped just with a fine and probation.
0: Hmm, sounds a little bit like... Maybe some of our our perpetrators from last week.
2: Mm -hmm. Well
0: off, you know, well connected, liked to commit lesser kind of like medium crimes, but like always kind of got off on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: James and Richard's father was a successful and popular podiatrist. Whereas Fred's father owned real estate and various businesses, which again included the California rock and gravel quarry. However, despite their families being successful and well-liked members of the area, the investigators were able to secure a warrant to search Fred's father's estate. And for weeks, cops searched further and further. What they found was a Trevor Trove of evidence that clearly implicated these three men. As the cops searched the area with a fine tooth comb, they found a gun and a detailed map and description of the plan that had been made a year and a half earlier. They had meticulously planned to do this, and they wanted to be extremely careful.
0: But they apparently all- not careful enough to get rid of the evidence.
1: <laughs> exactly. They also discovered a draft of a ransom note that had been meant to be sent to the parents. In it, they saw that Fred and his cohorts wanted $2.5 million from the parents. But in reality, they wanted $5 million from the state of California. And they planned to do this when the parents were unable to come up with the funds. So then they would switch the tone and say, okay, if the state wants to help these families give us even more money.
0: That just doesn't make any sense to like ask for more money after you've already asked for a certain dollar amount. I don't know. Right. But I guess if the idea is that you hold all the cards with the, the children, then you can pretty much ask for whatever you want in hopes yeah. that you'll get at least something.
1: Right. And it's 26 children. What, What governor is going to poo-poo about that? So they actually tried, this is kind of funny, um, they tried to call the Chowchilla police to execute their plan after burying their hostages, but the phone lines were busy with all the concerned parents reporting their missing children. So
0: So their own crime hindered their own plan
1: yeah and to put the icing on the cake they decided to take a nap because it had been a long endeavor and kidnapping kids really takes it out of you yeah it's exhausting and of course during their nap was when the kids had made their escape and foiled (laughs) everything
0: oh my gosh gotta love dumb criminals Mm -hmm. thank goodness
1: I mean, they were so smart up until that moment. Yeah. Because they planned this for a year and a half. The arrest warrants were made immediately. Richard Schoenfield immediately turned himself in, while Fred and James decided to run away. Fortunately, they didn't get far, as police captured them by dawn the next day.
0: Yay!
1: Soon after, the men were placed in a police lineup where the kids had to identify their voices when they were asked to repeat the threats they made to them. Many of the children were re-traumatized by this. But the question now is, what drove these wealthy men to commit such crime? While the young men had come from money, James and Fred were actually in serious debt. Despite their familial wealth, none of the young men appeared comfortable with the trajectory of their lives. Richard Schoenfeld worked as a busboy to put himself through college. His father had given him money to buy Jaguar, but he was unable to afford the insurance premiums and had to sell the car for less than what he paid. The men tried to invest in real estate, but wound up losing by one estimate, $30,000. James owed Fred money, and Fred owned his cousin money. Their attempts at autonomy to financially support themselves were failing. As Fred saw his neighbors acquire more possessions, he developed envy issues. He didn't feel he could achieve financial prosperity without making an audacious move. The idea of kidnapping for ransom money popped into his mind immediately. However, who to kidnap was the question. They needed someone easy. And who are three men better to control than elementary age children? The idea to kidnap multiple at once seemed foolproof as they would be able to request and receive an even larger amount of ransom money. And while the brothers were only coerced to commit the crime, Fred had been the sociopath and mastermind behind it all. With the overwhelming evidence stacked against the three culprits, they pleaded guilty to the 27 counts of kidnapping on July 5th, 1977. So nearly a year later.
0: Wow. I also, it's just like, oh, yeah, like, how... Like how bad at business do you have to be to to get to the point where you're like kidnapping? Literally sounds better than like trying any other oppor- like business opportunity. Like I I it, I feel like these guys could have could have had any kind of opportunity for you know whatever education they probably wanted. It's like, but no, they they it seems like they resorted to kidnapping awfully quickly
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it sounds like they pretty much failed at everything else they tried so i mean they were desperate
0: man i just it's like maybe that's just a, a a time to start at like you know one of them was a had been like a bus boy at a restaurant to get through school right yeah it's like maybe that's you know what it's good, honest work. Maybe just stick to that.
1: Yeah, just enjoy the simple life.
0: Yeah, no need to get all... But I get it. There's that whole envy that you are talking about that it's like, wow, you, you probably associate with a lot of other wealthy families. And then to be like, oh, well, why isn't... Why don't I have that?
1: Exactly. That's
0: the same opportunities... It really seems like rich people problems.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. There's that song, Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous. They're always complaining.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a throwback to my my youth.
1: Uh-huh. Um, so anyways, uh, almost a year later, they pleaded guilty to the 27 counts of kidnapping. However, they refused to plead guilty to the eight counts of bodily harm, since this would mean life imprisonment without the possibility of parole.
0: Interesting. I wonder why that is the the uh, like the threshold for the harsher punishment. I would think like kidnapping is such a serious crime. Like, why isn't that on the table for? Uh, life without parole I don't,
1: I don't I don't know we could go on and on about <laughs> about Sentence court rulings. guidelines yes. yes 16 months after their abduction the children finally faced their kidnappers in court to testify against them. They all agreed aside from the emotional trauma that being forced into an underground prison with little airflow, no light, And the little food and water was, in fact, a form of bodily harm forced upon them. I would say so. We will see. During the trials, it came out that Fred had been inspired by the movie Dirty Harry to commit the crimes. Dirty Harry's main plot revolves around a psychopathic sniper, referred to as Scorpio, who shoots a woman while she swims in a rooftop pool. leaves behind a blackmail letter demanding he be paid one hundred thousand dollars or he will kill more people so i get the whole like using people for money but it's interesting that he used a murder to inspire a kidnapping
0: yeah i i never that you know there's multiple times where people say that oh they're inspired by movies or or books to to kill or to commit other crimes. And I'm just like, I don't know how legitimate that really is. Like, I feel like that's, that's a pretty weak uh, defense for, to pass the blame along to somebody else.
1: Yeah. And to uh, quote unquote, one of my favorite, movies of all time scream um (laughs) horror movies don't make serial killers they just help them get creative
0: that's a good that's a good quote
1: so prosecutor david minier convinced superior court judge leo deegan that the crime carried with it bodily harm since some of the children reported a combination of nausea nosebleeds and fatigue That charge carried a mandatory sentence of life in prison without parole. The jury took no time to come to a verdict and all three men were found guilty. Each man received 27 sentences of life in prison without the possibility of parole, one for each of the kidnapped victims. However, a curious thing happened in 1980. An appeals court determined that the judge had been wrong to declare that the crime had included bodily harm. The nosebleed, fainting, spell, and nausea no longer counted for some reason. The kidnappers were still imprisoned for life, but the distinction meant they were eligible for parole.
0: Oh gosh, I hate this.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Each kidnapper was denied release dozens of times. However, in 2012, Richard Schoenfeld was released. His brother James followed in 2015. Both had an unblemished behavior record while incarcerated.
2: Hmm.
1: Only Frank Woods, who had gotten into some disciplinary trouble, remained inside. Richard and James Schoenfeld moved in with their 93-year-old mother, with Richard serving as her caregiver, and James took up a job performing architectural drafting work, a skill he acquired in prison. It appears the two men may have turned over a new leaf during their time spent. In October of 2019, California officials again rejected parole for the last of the three men, Fred Woods. State patrol officials decided that Fred, who is 67, can try again in 2024. It's the 17th time he's been denied release. Prosecutors previously said that Woods had disciplinary infractions that justified keeping him in prison. Unlike the two brothers, it seems like the mastermind of the operation isn't getting off so easily.
0: It sounds like the the, the true mastermind who deserves to be put away is getting every single day that he deserves for the trauma that he inflicted. I mean, I still, I still feel like the two brothers. I mean, it, it, I feel like if they if they had a good prison record and it sounds like they're taking like they're caregivers, they've acquired skills to be productive. Uh, it sounds like they've been rehabilitated, and also they did spend. Let's see, what seventy-seven to two
1: thousand
0: twelve. So they spent a long time. I mean, that's probably over half their life.
1: Behind yeah. Calls. I mean, I I agree that they were paroled. I think I think they served their time. Yeah. Um. What irks me is that there are people who are re-offenders. You know, there's sexual deviants that will assault multiple, multiple people, get put behind bars with only like a seven-year sentence, released, they reoffend. they go back only for like a 10-year sentence and they get out on good behavior after six. Like mm-hmm. that, that pisses me off.
0: Yeah, it's like why is that not taken more seriously than, you know, these these two brothers who, you know, granted made a huge, huge mistake um, in participating in this crime, but they get just they spent way more time behind bars than say somebody who's uh, reoffending, like. Sex like uh like a sex crimes reoffender. Right. And
1: yeah, or one last tidbit on this soapbox before we get back to the story, but something that really bothers me is people who did not intend to kill someone, so they accidentally gave someone the wrong medication or they um, had a blind spot while they're driving, and they struck a pedestrian, and they get life in prison, whereas mm-hmm. someone who intentionally murders someone in cold blood may get like fifteen years and out early. Yeah, it drives me crazy.
0: That's ugh. yeah, it's it's really crazy how our system sentences people and it could i mean granted there are some guidelines that are across the the, like federal guidelines for certain crimes but from state to state it could be totally different Mm -hmm. and it it's just not equal justice across the country
1: so back to the story as for the victims Ed received a California School Employees Association recognition for outstanding community service. He was also celebrated with a parade in his honor shortly after the trials. He went back to work for the Dairyland Union School District just two months after the incident, driving Dairyland bus number one, the same one that had been hijacked.
0: Wow. Wow. He even, I wonder where that bus is today.
1: I am so glad you asked because he even bought that bus uh, because he didn't want to see it sent to the junkyard.
0: Oh my he gosh, late, that is so cool.
1: He later gave it to a neighbor who keeps it indoors on his property, an enduring testament to the 27 brave individuals, as well of the one of the most bizarre crimes ever recorded. Ed passed away in 2012 at the age of
2: 91. Wow.
1: Yeah, he lived such a long, long, happy life, life, it sounds. Before he passed away, he was visited by many of the school children he had helped save. And now, every February 26th, has been declared Edward Ray Day in Chowchilla.
0: Oh, that's so sweet. I love that tribute to him. Mm Mm-hmm. And how deserving, like, yeah, it sounds like he really, I mean, and the fact that he went back to continue doing that job really is a testament to be like how much he cared about those kids and right. how seriously he took his job. Like, uh, you know, I just remember certain bus drivers when I was growing up, like they, they don't do that because it's a glamorous job or that it it's gonna make you rich they do that because they enjoy being a part of these kids days and you know they they have the power to you know make your make kids days brighter Um, you know it's I it's very touching to know that he had such a career that he loved and that he made such a difference in these kids' lives.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: for sure. So the children who were once victims had become heroes. They were rewarded with a trip to Disneyland in order to give them some form of reprieve. And while many had still suffered from anxiety long after, they were also given the chance to get back a portion of their childhood that had been permanently lost from the ordeal. A study found that the kidnapped children suffered from panic attacks, nightmares involving kidnappings and death, personality changes. Many developed fears such as cars, the dark, wind, the kitchen, mice, and dogs.
2: Hmm.
1: And one surviving child shot a tourist with a BB gun when the tourist's car had broken down in front of his home.
0: Oh, that's scary.
1: Yeah. It's like, hold on, stranger danger, everyone's out to get me mentality. Yeah. Many of the children continued to report symptoms of trauma at least 25 years after the kidnapping, including substance abuse and oppression. And a number have been imprisoned for minor misdemeanors. What was learned from the after effects suffered by the kidnapped children has guided the treatment Of young children, young victims of trauma ever since. In 2016, the 25 surviving, so we've lost one unfortunately, but the 25 surviving kidnapped children settled a lawsuit that they had filed against their kidnappers. The money they received was paid out of Fred Wood's trust fund, and although the exact settlement was not disclosed, One survivor stated they had each received, quote, enough to pay for some therapy, but not enough for a house.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, at least it's a start. And I really hope that all those now grown adults can get the very best care to help process some of that trauma because that's just something that it's it's gotta be so incredibly difficult to live a normal life with that hanging in the back of your head all the time.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, at at Fred's 2012 hearing, um, the survivors, some of the survivors were given a chance uh, to detail the effects of the abduction on her life. Hyde Brown says, I wrote that they buried me alive They stole my childhood and caused me immense emotional pain over the years. It affected my life, my parents' lives, and now my children's lives. I am fortunate I'm not incarcerated or hooked on drugs, which is how some of the kids dealt with it. I am as okay as a broken person can be. Another survivor said, for me, it's having to deal with hatred and anger toward other human beings. And that's a jungle that almost 40 years later, I still have to deal with. Larry Park, on the contrary, fell into a world of addiction as a teenager. He's now nine years sober and was able to find peace after encountering his captured Richard in 2012 after he was paroled.
0: Wow, that's got to be a whole bundle of emotions yeah like coming face to face with with somebody who kidnapped you after they've gotten out of prison I imagine there'd be a lot of anger a lot of sadness a lot of really just complicated feelings like do you want to punch them in the face or do you want to forgive them I do not envy that encounter
1: no but From what I hear a lot of times for the victim, it's very healing.
0: That's good. And it's, and it sounds like, like you said, he's found sobriety and it sounds like he's kind of helped make peace. Yeah. After that encounter.
1: So, although the kidnappers claim to have never wished any harm on anyone and that the plan certainly did not involve a murderous plot, it is clear that harm was caused and the pain inflicted onto the children still persists today, a near 46 years later. And that is the B-A-N-A-N-A-S case of the Chowchilla bus kidnapping.
0: I am so glad that you picked that one, because I, I, I really wanted to know how everything played out, and that is, it's an incredible story of really, of like, kids being brave, and, uh, you know, and that bus driver being so brave, and I, I just, I'm so glad that everybody made it out alive, and right,
1: it could have, it could have gone dark at any moment,
0: yeah, I mean, it could have gone way, way worse, you know, they could have all died if, if the, um, it, like if the ceiling had collapsed in on them, you know, whether it was intentional or not, I mean, they could have suffocated in there.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, the vents had stopped working. I mean, a number of things could have gone wrong with this.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and if it had continued any longer, it one of those bad things would have kicked in, so. Mm-hmm.
1: And the fact that they saved themselves is like... I love that about this story. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. An incredible story. And I'm so, so thankful that you shared that today. It's well, kind of inspiring that uh, yeah. there is hope to save yourself in some of these dangerous situations.
2: Hmm.
1: Yep. And don't give up. Never yeah. lose hope.
0: Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for (laughs) sharing this story. And yeah, it's, it was very interesting to, to hear all the details.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, uh, so Larry Park, the one who met Richard and forgave him, Mm -hmm. um, he does have a book detailing, uh, his experience like during and after, um, I really wanted to read it, but I didn't. I didn't have the time because, like, I wanted to do it this week. Yeah. Um, but my, so check it out. It's on Amazon. Um, just type in Larry Park and it will come up. Uh, for my sources, though, I used the CBS News article "Chalchela Bus Kidnapping" by David Begnod. The night the article. 1976 bus kidnapping on the city of Chowchilla's website. The article, How Did They Escape? by Andrea Ryher. And the 1993 made-for-TV movie, They've Taken Our Children, The Chowchilla
0: Kidnapping. Ooh, I, I might want to watch that. Do I, while you were listing your sources, I looked up the name of the Larry Park book. It's called The Chowchilla Kidnapping, Why Me? And it yeah. came out in 2011. So it is out there. Well, Another one to add to my list of <laughs> books to find. <laughs> Another
1: thing to add to your hoard. <laughs> okay. I imagine,
0: oh, could you imagine if I just had a book on every single one topic that we covered and... It would just be an incredible true crime library. <laughs> I would
1: actually love that. That would be so cool. Well,
2: right. this has
0: been an, a very, as always, fascinating, illuminating episode. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening.
1: Check us out on social media at Dark and Devious Podcast, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. And send us a Gmail if you want to say hello or leave a suggestion at. Dark and Devious podcast at gmail.com. As Perfect. always, we appreciate you. Uh, we love that you're here. We love what we're doing. And until next time, bye. bye.